Good morning, friends. Uh, we gather again this morning, as we always do, around the Word of God. It is uh, as an important part of our worship, uh, the Word of God is, as, as we continue our study in 1 Corinthians. Specifically, we're going to find ourselves today in the back half of chapter 7. And last week, as we talked about 1 Corinthians, one of the things uh, I said when we talked about 1 Corinthians is that 1 Corinthians is a very practical, a very pragmatic book. You know, you look at the book of, of Romans or, or the book of Galatians, they're very theological, but 1 Corinthians is a very practical book. It's, it's in a lot of ways about behavior and practice and about how you should live now that you are a Christian. This week, before we get going much further, let me make one quick observation. And I want to say this, context is important right? Um, now, what do I mean by context? Because I talk about that a lot, right? Here's what I mean. As you read the Bible, you cannot unseat a, a single line from Scripture and, and at the same time, you know, kind of separate it from the verses which are around it, which give it its greater, fuller meaning. And you can't remove pieces of Scripture from their historical setting and surrounding um, but people do this sometimes, don't we? I mean, we, we kind of take verses out of context. People will read the Bible and they'll lift out one sentence from a long paragraph and they, they really hold on to that sentence and they ignore everything else and they make that, that them whatever they need it to mean for them in the moment. For example, and let, let's just do some four examples of, of like scripture taken out of context, right? Philippians 4.13, let's put that up there. You know this one, right? Here's what it says. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, and what people have made this verse to mean is that Christians can accomplish anything that they set their mind to because of Jesus. That's, that's what a lot of people mean. And, and so people take this verse and, and, and it means that, that whatever we want to do, we can do because of Jesus. And so they write it on their baseball glove. And they'll write it on their basketball shoes. And, uh, and they tell themselves, I can dunk the basketball through Christ who strengthens me. And folks, I've tried it. I can't. <laughs> and neither can you. <laughs> and they begin to believe that Christ will give them some supernatural athleticism or some supernatural favor or luck whenever they are competing in and whatever they put their mind to, that Christ will help them win. Back in the 90s, there was a group of evangelists, and they called themselves the Power Team. Do y'all remember the Power Team? It was these, these, uh, these, these guys, and they were like steroid-filled, and they would wear the tank tops, and they just they come out, and they're very swollen. And, and listen, just physically, we know now that you don't look like that 
naturally. No matter how many, how many weights you lift, you have to put like extra testosterone, extra steroids in your body to look like that. These guys were just gigantic. And they would, um, they would rip phone books and they would quote this verse. And they would bend like these frying pans with their bare hands and they would quote these verses. I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. And that's what they had made this verse to mean. But what was the context of Philippians 4.13? Like we put it back into its context. Paul wasn't winning a basketball game or a race. He, he wasn't competing in a contest. If, think about it. Paul was under house arrest. And he was awaiting a trial where he might be put to death. For, for the charge, what was his charge? Preaching Christ. And Paul is saying, uh, he, what he's not saying is, 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 I can win. I can beat these guys through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, Look at the context. Look at what he's saying. Paul's saying, if Christ has called me into prison, if Christ has called me to suffer and die, so be it. And the reason, the way you get context is you read more of the argument. So if we were to add 12 in and we would read 12 and 13 together, let's put that up. He says this. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. It means something totally different in context. It doesn't mean that God's promised me the victory or that in Christ you can do whatever you set your mind to. In context, it means the opposite. Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever happens. Good times, bad times. Sometimes the Lord brings healing and sometimes the Lord brings death. Sometimes the Lord brings victory, and sometimes the Lord brings defeat, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That is why we teach people, uh, and when we do, we do our very best to put that teaching in context. And so here it is. We're going to give some context in regard to 1 Corinthians. Ready? It was written by the Apostle Paul to a little church which is planted in the Greek city of Corinth. Paul had led that church for 18 months. And he lays a solid foundation for them in Christ. And then he leaves to go and plant other churches. And after Paul leaves, Paul has a lot of written correspondence with this church in Corinth. And uh, the book of 1 Corinthians is one of those letters that the, the Apostle Paul had written to this church about what it means to lead faithful lives now that they're Christians. And after Paul left, there was a lot of disagreement in that little church about what it looked like to live those faithful lives. There are, in that one little church, and it's probably a, a group of house churches that make up one community, there are Jews who have chosen to believe in Jesus, there are Greeks, there are married people, there are single people, there are widows, there are slaves, there are philosophers. And now that Paul's gone from Corinth, there are all these different leaders who are saying all these different things about, about how Christians should be living their lives. Imagine, if you will, just kind of like one of those leaders in, in power is a former Jew. They've got a leadership position. There's some role in the church. And after Paul leaves, they start teaching people that in order to live faithfully in Christ, you need to be circumcised. And if you're single, you need to get married and you need to have lots of babies. And for many Jews, that's what they thought faithful living was. Imagine a, a different leader in the church who's not a Jew. Let's just say he's a Greek and he's an, he's an idealist. And they start telling everyone that if you really want to live for Jesus, you need to divorce your husband or your wife and you just need to focus on faith. And furthermore, they'll tell you that your job isn't very spiritual. 
You need, to, you need to quit your job. And you need to go work for Jesus. You need to start, start wearing these kind of clothes that are very spiritual. You need to move out of your neighborhood. Just all these things that all these different leaders are saying, this is what you need to do now. Bottom line was there was no shortage of suggestions for what faithfulness looked like. What this church so desperately needed was the Word of God so that they don't have to be bent by everyone's opinions. You know, my wife was watching this, uh, this Netflix show this week, and I was, I was you know, looking at my phone and halfway paying attention to what she was watching. It kind of caught my attention. It was about this, this cult where the leader was a prophet, and, and whatever he said, the people had to do. And he was ruining their lives with this kind of authority that he had. And he was marrying off 12-year-old girls to 40-year-old men. And he was saying to these people, this is how you please the Lord. And I kept thinking to myself as I watched this show is, these people are under the worst kind of leadership. What they need is the Word of God revealed in Scripture. It'll set them free from kind of the tyranny of this evil thinking. That being said, instead of giving you more of me this morning, let's get to the Word of God, and we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 7, 17 through 24. I want to invite you to stand, if you're able, as we approach the Word of God. <clears throat> and before we read together, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your Word, which is revealed to us. God, we submit our hearts to you and to your Word, that your Spirit would allow us to read it well and to be edified and to be convicted in Christ's name. And all the church said, amen. Beginning in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised, let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything or uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man in the Lord. Likewise, he who, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of our Lord will stand forever, and this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Once again, let's be grounded in context. There are all kinds of teachers in Corinth, and they're claiming uh, that you need to change your life this way or change your life that way in order to be faithful to God. And if you remember last week, Paul wrote about marriage, and he said, don't listen to what everyone says. You don't have to change your marital status now that you follow Jesus. You don't have to get divorced even if you're married to a non-Christian. And you could imagine if Paul was teaching the contrary, how many families would just be broken up. Paul says if you're married, stay married. If you're single, stay single. Don't buy into that talk that suggests that Christians have to change 
their current circumstances now that they're believers. So let's look at verse 17. Here's what it says. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. This verse is really the main idea of the section. And you're going to see Paul repeat this main idea at least three times, and he's going to give a couple of different illustrations about what it means for him to say this. The bottom line is this. Your relationship with Christ does not depend on social status. You can be married. You can be single. You can be widowed or divorced. You can be a slave or a king, a man or a woman. You can live in an American democracy or in a North Korean dictatorship, and wherever you find yourself, whatever those conditions are, you can be obedient to Christ. There's an element that calls the Christian to be uh, content with the life that God has put them in. And, And I guess we have to reflect on that this morning. How about you? How are you doing? Are you content with the life that God is giving you? Or are you not? You are living the life that God has assigned you. Do you realize that? That's what this scripture says. Look again, and if we could put it back up on the screen again, verse 17, and look what it says. Lead the life that the Lord has assigned to you and to which God has called you. Did you know that God is sovereign? And that word sovereign means that he controls all things. You live the life you live And I don't know if you realize this, but you live the life you live because God has put you there. Verse 17 says he assigned you that very life and he called you to it. And Paul goes on to explain this further through an illustration in verse 18 and 19. Here's his illustration. And it's an example of of probably some situations that were going on in Corinth. He says, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Well, uh, let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision, for neither circumcision counts for anything or uncircumcision, but instead, he doesn't say instead, I inserted that, but you can understand that that's the context, but keeping the commandments of God. Uh, circumcision had been the sign of the old covenant. Uh, Christ had, uh, had brought a new covenant, but the Jews believed it was necessary that Before you could be part of this new covenant, you had to be circumcised into the old covenant. But Paul says, no, it doesn't matter. Circumcision or non-circumcision doesn't matter. What what Paul says matters is that you keep the commandments of God. That's the key to this passage, friends. You live where you are called, and you keep the commandments of God. And, And the context that we get kind of all around this is it's about marriage versus singleness. It's about circumcision versus uncircumcision. Whatever your condition, when you were called to be a Christian, you can remain there and be faithful. The Bible teaches us to be the light of the world wherever we are. And if God has you somewhere, he has you there for a reason. So that you might be his witness in that unique place in the world which your life takes place. The illustration from last week was marriage, right? Uh, What if you find yourself married to an unbeliever? 
Uh, do you leave that place or that person now that you're a Christian? And according to Paul last week, he says, no, if you're married to a non-believer and that believer is, will stay married to you, you stay put. And you be a witness of Christ's love in that marriage. Some more kind of greater context and history to understand here is that in the history of the Jewish people, there were sometimes culturally when a Jew would become ashamed of his circumcision. And, and he, kinda, he wanted to reverse his circumcision to become something he was not, uh, to hide his origins or to hide his ethnicity. Historian Josephus, who writes a lot about the Jews and the Christians in, in, in the time of Jesus, he describes a time when, when a group of disgruntled Jews wanted to fit in really well with, with Greek culture, and they were kind of ashamed of their Jewish heritage. And really what they wanted to do is they wanted to go and hang out at the Greek gymnasium. Have, have any of y'all familiar with the practices of the Greek gymnasium? It was a weird place, okay? In the Greek gymnasium, men did not wear clothes, no clothes, none at all. And so these Jews who wanted to fit into Greek culture didn't want to show up in the, in the gymnasium and appear as circumcised Jews because it would really out them, the, the, who, they, who their identity was, what they were ethnically. So they had surgery to remove the marks of circumcision. And I read that and I thought, no, thank you. Why do that? That's, I think that's what Paul is saying. Why, why do that? The place where a Jew could have had the most influence in this world was the life that God had given him. Within the Jewish community, within their family, in the synagogue. But once they do this, I guarantee you they're going to be isolated from some of those people. And again, when we get to verse 20, Paul is going to restate the main idea of this section. He's going to say it again. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called it's very easy to understand what Paul is saying. Live in the condition which God has called you. And Paul is going to give us one more example. Verse 21, ready? Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Okay, so there is a lot to unpack with this illustration. First off, this is not a defense or a biblical defense of modern channel slavery. It is not. This is not a justification for owning people. There are many differences between uh, historic bond servants. The word here in the Greek is doulos, but the context is bond servants. Uh, many differences between that and modern understandings of, of slavery in America. So let me, just, let me just lift off four major differences, okay? First of all, bond servitude was in the most part, voluntary. You were in a bad situation, but you chose bond servitude over prison. Uh, secondly, bond servitude was not racial in nature. Third, uh, bond servants were not principally used for the purpose of heavy labor, right? That's the way they were used in this country. And lastly, bond servitude was not indefinite. So we've kind of got these ways it's different. So, so here's how bond servitude worked in the biblical time. If you owed a debt that you could not pay, you had a couple of options. Option number one, you could spend a few decades in prison. Option number two, you could work a few years 
as a bond servant in order to work off and pay off your debt. And you would eat and drink from the master's table. You might be a tutor for their children. You might run their business. You might manage their household. But the reason you were in this situation was because you could not pay your debt. And when you agreed to be a bond servant, you then agreed on how many years you must serve in order to pay off that debt. And based on the debt, there's probably an industry standard. It could be five years, it could be 10 years, it could be just a couple, depending on the debt. But once your time is up, once you've paid your debt, you're free, and if for some reason you could come up with the money sooner, you could buy your freedom early. And explain this to you, I want to clarify, the Bible isn't affirming bond servitude. Right? It's, this isn't a biblical affirmation of bond servitude. It, it, it's not affirming any form of slavery. On the contrary, Paul says that if you are a bond servant, and let's just say you have five years of debt remaining, and somewhere in that five-year period, your life changes and that you come to faith in Jesus while you're already a bond servant. What Paul is saying is, in that situation, in that place of life, you can serve Christ. Right? It isn't affirming the practice. The issue is, can a bond servant honor God with their life where they are then? You see the difference? It, it's not saying, it, it, as, as some would have in the past liked to twist this, it isn't saying be a good slave and don't make trouble. It's saying even in the servants' quarters where there's great darkness, there is need for godly bond servants to shine the light of Christ. There's part of this verse that's about dignity for the man or woman who finds himself as a bond servant, saying that in every way you are chosen in Christ. You are gifted in grace and a child of God. You are not the lesser. It's telling the bondservant that no matter the events which may have brought you to this place, God has you in this place for a purpose. You're here where you're supposed to be in this moment, so speak the gospel. Now, I guess the question we should ask is, are the bondservants just supposed to stay there? Like, are they supposed to be content with, with not being free? No, that is not what it says. In, fa in fact, what Paul says is, if you can, gain your freedom. Avail yourself of any opportunity to do so. And here's why Paul says that, that slaves should seek to be free. Verses 22 through 23, here's what it says. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman. So if, if, if you're a bondservant, when you're called to be a Christian, you are a freedman in the Lord. And likewise, in this kind of turning of events, he who was free when called has become a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. And then he instructs people, do not become bondservants of men. What's, Paul, what's more, Paul says that anyone uh, who is not a bondservant, anyone who's free becomes a slave. Anyone who is a slave becomes free in Christ. There is this redirecting of the understanding of freedom in Christ. It's this idea that every Christian is set free from sin and death, but they have a new master, Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul tells Christians, don't become bondservants because you already have that master. But let's be honest, if you're already in bond servitude, you, you might have to spend some years in those days 
You may not have the freedom or the money in order to service your debt. You may have to actually spend some years in bond servitude. And, and so what Paul is saying to those people is, don't forget who your true master is. Be salt and light. And so in verse 24, Paul repeats for a third time what the main idea is. He's going to repeat it one more time. He says, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. And I think that we grasp, I think everyone in this room, because we, we've heard the main idea three times, we grasp what the main idea is, what, uh, that in whatever condition we're called, let us remain with God. I think the challenge for us is different, though. I think the challenge for us is how is this applicable to us today? Like, what are those conditions? What are we talking about when we talk about remaining in the same condition in which we're called? And, and I have a couple of ideas that I want to share with you today. I think, I think uh, initially we can say that the context here has a lot to do with marriage. We can say it has to do with singleness. We can say it has to do with maybe your job or, or, or where God has you. Um, bond servants were often in the situation they were in because of debt. Maybe they borrowed to feed their family. Maybe they had gambling issues. Maybe they, maybe they got greedy and they overspent and they used up all the money. Who knows? What we know is that what they did in the past somehow affected the reality in their present. Same thing with Paul's description of marriage, right? You may have made the decision to marry a non-Christian in the past, and that may not be the ideal relationship for a Christian, but guess what? That's the, Lord, that's, that's the life that the Lord has given you now, right? Like, you, you made a decision in the past, it's the life that the Lord has given you now. Now, you may not have gambled all your money away, like probably most of us did not. And, and none of us have probably found ourselves living as, as bond servants. But it is possible that because of some sin in the past in our lives, your present day today feels like you're still paying off some debts. You know, some sins tend to follow us around. Have you ever noticed that, that some of the sins in life we have, don't just their effects don't go away? Some sins have bigger debts than other ones, and they take longer to pay off. I've oftentimes sat with a Christian father whose daughter has become pregnant out of wedlock. And the sins of that little girl have, have changed the conditions of that little girl's life. And for a season, like the father and the mother and the little girl, they're gonna, they, they, they mourn that pregnancy. It's not going to be the easiest life for that young woman. It's not. But what does she do? She leads the best life that God has assigned for her. She lives to be the best mother that she can be. Her parents and her celebrate the Lord, and they celebrate that child in the home. They tell that child that that child is fearfully and wonderfully made. Sometimes what we did in the past shapes where we live in the present. Live the life that God has assigned you and be faithful in that life. Let me be clear about one thing. While God does not condone any sin, nothing in life happens by happenstance. God did not condone it when Joseph's brother sold him into slavery. But God redeemed Joseph's life in spite of that sin. 
And Joseph found himself exactly where God had foreordained him to be all along the way. And wherever Joseph was, Joseph looked to serve the Lord. And it's a beautiful story if you look at that story. It's a story filled with sin and brokenness and injustice where Joseph just lives the life that God has called him to live and lives it faithfully. The Word of God teaches that wherever you find yourself today, that place is exactly where God has put you. You may not understand why everything is happening. You might look back and you might see mistakes in your life. You might see sin in your life. You might see failures and injustice. And I'm sure Joseph felt that way. I felt pretty sure that Joseph felt betrayed by his family. That he, he felt lied about by Potiphar's wife. How can God appoint this life for Joseph? However, even in prison, Joseph just seemed to live the life that God had assigned to him. And that is the charge of Scripture for us this morning. I just want to re repeat that. That wherever you find yourself today, whatever conditions they may be, listen, there's probably not many people who wanted to find themselves being widows today or being widowers. But whatever life you find yourself in today, be faithful. Wherever you are, keep the commands of God. This is the Word of God found in 1 Corinthians 7. 17 through 24. May God add his blessing to the reading of this word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, may your spirit so fill us that we learn to be content with the lives that we have been given. And that in those lives and in those moments, whatever has brought us to this place, God, that we would be thankful and we would be faithful. And God, that wherever we are planted, we would be a witness there. Father, we realize that there is no very few, anybody else in our lives who could kind of walk the same life we walk and have the same uh, effect on the same people, Lord. Help us to be a faithful witness to our families, to our workplaces, to our gyms and our communities, wherever we go, God. We realize that where we planted, you have us for your purposes. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. And all the church said, amen. Amen.